Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. for the fourth and final installment of this series. Have you guys enjoyed this series so far? Honestly, it's been really, really, really good for me personally, too. I, I started explaining a little bit last week, but the process of coming up with these series lately is very unique to each series. God just sort of drops an idea into my soul. And honestly, it's a lot more questions than answers. If you've ever been to any of my Bible studies, you know that I have a lot of questions. And so I I ask God those questions and he answers through the sermons. And so it's a little bit difficult sometimes to come up with what a series is going to be about on the first week, (laughs) because I still have so many questions. And so Victorious has been, I mean, it started as a desperate cry to God for why am I not where I want to be yet, right? Why am I still struggling? I'm sick of being sick and tired all the time. I'm sick of forcing myself to have faith. And it sort of felt like I was on the run all the time or I was always and I was still playing the game, but I'm on the losing team constantly and struggling my way through life and faith. When am I going to get to be winning at it, right? When am I going to get to that place, God? And so I named this series Victorious because that's the place I want to be, not because that's the place that I was. And God amazingly has answered that in so many ways. I don't know about you, but by the end of this, I'm feeling a little jump in my step, right? I'm finally feeling like maybe I don't have to struggle every single day. I feel a little joy overflowing. I feel a little peace that passes all understanding, hope where there should be none, purpose and calling, even though I don't deserve it and freedom, I didn't earn. That's victorious. That's where I've been wanting to be and just couldn't find myself getting there. But I'm aware that all of this is easy to say when the sermon adrenaline is running, right? When I'm on a stage and I have a microphone in my hand and I can see the big picture and I've just come out of a worship service that gets me focused on the big picture. And it's easy to say when I'm up here, but I have midnight moments too, just like you where I'm struggling still, right? I can feel victorious in some areas of my life and yet so not in other areas. Those social media moments where you're looking at what everyone else has and what everyone else is saying or or those fearful moments where you're thinking about everything that you could lose. And what if it all goes away? Who am I if it all goes away? Moments where I feel trapped by my circumstances or just like God's not listening or answering. And what do I do in those moments? You know, I thought victorious would look different. I thought it would feel 
different. I thought victorious would be different. And so God, why not now? Right? We talked about David. We talked about Jacob in the past two weeks and they had kingdoms and land and blessings and families. And why can't I have that now? Why are my finances still a mess? Why are my, my relationships still a mess? Why can't I be victorious? And I've been picturing all week, you all going home saying, well, you know, Pastor Candace all these weeks has been telling us that God's victories are whole and complete. And I've been fighting the good fight for a whole day now. Where's my victory? <laughs> right? I've been fighting the good fight for a minute. I've been, I've been doing it for a while, maybe years and years for you. And yet, why? <sighs> why aren't I there yet? Why don't I have the victory now? And I think that I have been sort of led through some levels of this. I think God is a God of progression. He leads us as we need it. He leads us when we need it. And I think I've been realizing that I'm moving through the levels, but I'm not quite there yet. And if you were sitting in my kitchen and we were having this conversation over coffee and we were complaining to each other about why we are not there yet, I think before this week I would have summed up victorious for you and for me. And I would have brought out a few of the lessons that I've learned so far. And in the first place I would say to you, number one, your story is still being written. Right? If you're in that place, you're saying, God, why don't I have this, that, and the other now? Why can't I have all the things, all the victories, maybe even that you've promised me? Why can't I have that now? The first thing I would say to you is, your story is still being written. Your story is still being written. Your story is still being written. I feel the need to repeat that because we often feel like my life is over, right? I, I'm never going to get out of this destructive cycle. The people around me are never going to change. It, it might as well. I'm, I'm just going to give in, right? I'm never going to change. I'm never going to learn. Just not the kind of person that gets that. But your story is still being written. The stories we have been telling over the past three weeks are whole life stories. We have the benefit because of the word of looking back and learning from other people's mistakes and successes. We know that King David won in the end. We know that Jacob won in the end, but they couldn't have known that in the stories that we read over the past few weeks. They didn't have the benefit of seeing the whole picture like we do. But if you still have breath in your lungs, your story is still being written. I think we, we hear messages about God's rest you know, and we think that God leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul and he does do those things. But I also believe that he has given us cycles in life for a reason. He's given us phases in life for a reason. He not only leads us by quiet waters, he also leads us up mountains. Sometimes where we have to climb and do a little bit of work. And personally, in my own life, I have seen God give me restful seasons they don't always last forever. In fact, they're usually because I'm recovering from something or about to head in to something, but all seasons are not restful seasons. There is night and there is day every single day. We're meant to rest eight hours, <laughs> meant to work the other 16, right? Did I get that math right? 
are meant to work every day and have rest every day. But I think we take it a little bit too far. God gave us one day a week for rest, not all seven, right? We're meant to work. God made us productive creatures. What are we doing those other six days? Are we working at this or are we just couch potatoes ready to just prop our feet up? I can relax in God's rest forever, that his rest is permanent and consistent and forever. And again, he gives you restful cycles, restful seasons, restful rhythms, but you're meant to be working with the others. We've taken it too far. Joyce Meyer said, salvation is a free gift, but victory requires you making some sacrifices sometimes. It requires some work. You have to work at victory. God is the God of progression. Your story is still being written. He leads us. He doesn't jerk us around and pull us out, transplant us, and put us somewhere else and boss us around and give us whiplash. He leads us progressively. Your second lesson will build upon your first, and your third lesson will build upon your second You're not going backwards. You're moving forward. Even when it doesn't feel like it, he is leading you one step at a time. Your story is still being written. The second thing that I would tell you if we were sitting complaining a little, having this conversation, would be let the past be the past. Let the past be the past. And I know that when I say that, especially in church for some reason, when I say that it sounds like just get over it. But I don't mean just get over it. In fact, it it should more be like make the past be the past because I believe it's a very intentional, active decision and choice. And it's a constant choice. It's not a once and done thing. You can't just allow the past to be the past and let it flow over you and forgiveness just oozes out of me, right? We all have some things that we struggle to forgive and if we don't deal with the emotional turmoil going on inside of us it ekes out onto other people hurting people hurt people that's what naturally happens if we don't intentionally deal with it you know there's a whole movement it's like a website and stuff you can get t-shirts that say it's okay to need jesus and a therapist too I actually think everybody, 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 even when you're very healthy, should have a counselor or a therapist, somebody to talk to and work out issues because life was never meant to be easy. It's just not. We have to work through some stuff. We have to talk through some stuff. And God has placed us in community. Jesus invented the word church. He wants you around other people that you can talk to, that can encourage you and help you, that you can encourage and help because you get so much more out of it when you're doing it for others too. He wants us in community and he wants us working through the past, working through forgiveness, walking in victory so that the past doesn't have to be our present and future too. You deserve forgiveness. They may not, but you do. You don't have to keep allowing the past to continue to hurt you in the present. You can stop it. And it's a process, and it's an intentional process. I had a word during worship last night. As we were worshiping, I felt like God was saying to someone here, and maybe it's for someone here today too, stop repeating the sins of your father and using your father as an excuse. Their sins are your sins now, and you can stop the cycle. 
right? We, we often take what happened to us in the past and, well, that's just who I am. So I'm just doomed to repeat the cycle, whether consciously or unconsciously, we do this. But you can't anymore. You have to deal with it. Pull those feelings up from the basement where you've stuffed them down for so long. Work through them. Deal with it. Put it firmly in the past. And move into the present, making the past be the past. Number three, if we were sitting around talking about victorious and how to move into it, I would have before the scripture that I'm going to read you today, I would have told you, stop wondering if God has a plan for you and start preparing for it. Stop wondering, God, are you up there? Do you have a plan here? Because I can't see it. What do you want me to do? Where am I moving towards? What's going to happen in five years, 10 years, 20 years? And start preparing for it today because all we have is today. I cannot get this phrase out of my head past week and a half. I actually heard it at a conference. Stop wondering if God has a plan for you and start preparing for it. It's, it's eking out everywhere because we, we do this more often than we think we we question or we secretly sort of somewhere down deep doubt that God has a plan. And so we make our own plans. We step all over his plan. We don't consult him about his plan. We make our own. He doesn't have one after all, right? We would never say that, but that's the operating belief. I wonder if he even has a plan for me. I wonder if a person like me could even have a plan from God, but of course you do. And the beauty of it is you don't have to know what the plan is to prepare for it. In fact, God almost never gives me the plan five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, but he always gives me the next step. What should I be doing today, now? What's right in front of me to do? I use this example a lot, but two years ago, uh, summer of 2017, I was at a conference, church conference, and I came away just feeling so empowered and, and inspired and felt like God spoke directly to my soul. But on the way home, I was thinking about God's vision. He was, he was planting in my soul of starting a women's group. And I did not want to start a women's group. <laughs> I say this all the time to them. But like I, I somehow had this idea in my mind that they like just sat around and knit and drank tea or something. I don't know why that didn't appeal to me because I do both of those things. But like, I, I, I don't know. I had this idea that it was something that it wasn't. And I really wanted to start some, if I was going to start something, and I did not think I had the time or energy to do so. But if I was going to, I wanted it to be a serious Bible study. I wanted to really dig into the word and transplant my love for the word to other women. And so on the way home, I said to God, yes, I guess, but maybe someday, you know, like later, I don't know if, if we get around to it. And what do you know? But that fall, we lost our women's group leader through various circumstances and it was December and we didn't have one. And I asked everyone I could think of somebody else take this darn group like somebody even just for a while can you lead this women's group and no 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 and finally after the fourth or fifth no i was like god do i have to all right fine and so i i said yes i remember coming up with some december events that year and then january we launched bold and brave he even gave me the name 
bold and brave out of my own testimony. I mean, it was clearly something I was supposed to do. And I said, yes, we stepped out and did it. We struggled a little bit with the format, the structure. I didn't quite know how I wanted to do it. And finally we started hitting our stride. And I'll tell you what, although I didn't want to say yes to that simple thing that I thought would be somewhere, you know, stuffed in a back room of the church. Nobody would notice. Nobody would care. Maybe a handful of women would come. I would put all this work and energy into it and they would get nothing out of it. I thought all of those things. And yet, because God told me to do it and because I simply said yes, even though I didn't want to, he used that thing. And I cannot tell you the benefits in my own life of starting that group. It, I, what I thought would be me pouring out and getting nothing back, it's nothing like that. I get fed so much every single week. And guess what? Wednesday comes every single week, y'all. Can't get away from it. It's always coming. There's another one coming. And so every single week, I have to prepare another lesson, whether I've done the work to fill myself up or not, right? It's disciplining me to constantly always be in the word. Nothing else would have done that. God knew what I needed to get this job done. He knew what the women of this church needed. And because I simply said yes. So yesterday, I put a message out to the Bold and Brave Facebook group. And I said, quick, I need some testimonies. What has Bold and Brave done in your life? What has it meant for you in your life? And I got some responses back. And I, I share these not to say that my women's group and you should come and whatever, I'm not recruiting. I'm saying my simple grudging obedience is producing fruit in other people's lives. And you have to stop wondering if God has a plan and just say yes. Because behind your simple obedience could be a thousand more people that need your work and energy and love. And they're going to see the fruit out of it too. So Denise, Denise Yates responded, Bold and Brave has challenged me not to quit when things get hard, to go deeper with God and do things I was not normally comfortable doing. It has challenged me to deal with stuff I haven't wanted to say yes to. And you have challenged me to go deeper into the word. Becky Strevick said, Bold and Brave has taught me to dive so much deeper into God's word and question, ask questions and not quit when it gets difficult. Going deeper into the word has changed my relationship with Jesus in a huge way. Also the relationships. I love the ladies in Bold and Brave and it's amazing to know I have strong women in my life I can lean on and go to for prayer. Suzanne Simon said, I've learned so much about how to study the Bible and not be intimidated by it. This is Bold and Brave. Can you hear even their language? It's coming out of them. I've gained confidence and I'm look, learning to look beyond my own understanding to find answers and not get frustrated when I don't understand. Charlene Corona said, I am understanding a lot more every day about the word of God. As a child, I went to church, but as a child, we didn't pay too much attention in learning and understanding his word. I learned so much that he can do so many things in your life. I'm learning to understand, to not fear things and not stress that everything will be all right. God is always with me. Janelle Myers said, Bold and Brave has helped me question what I'm learning. Most of us go to corporate worship. We listen to podcasts or even read books and take notes on what other people have gotten out of certain passages in the Bible, which you can learn a lot from others' efforts. But what Bold and Brave women do is take our intimacy with God's word to a whole new level. When you stop taking other people's answers 
as enough and start looking for more, that is when you start breaking secrecy with yourself in your personal walk of faith, a deeper connection, appreciation, all-around relationship with the man that saved me. Jess said, I was just as shy as you were before Bold and Brave. People tell me I have a bubbly personality now, and it still catches me off guard. You helped to show me Bible verses that showed me who I was in God's eyes. Lori Daldrick said, Bold and Brave, the class has showed me that there's so much more in the Bible than just Bible stories you grew up with. And it constantly amazes me that we can sp spend an hour to an hour and a half talking about just a couple of verses and how much you get out of it. The class challenges me, encourages me, pushes me in ways that any ladies Bible study has never done before. I love the fact that we take stories, <clears throat> what's been written in the Bible, we analyze it and apply it to our lives today, and not to mention the group of ladies that are just amazing. Story after story after story of fruit. Goodness that God is pouring out on all of us just because I begrudgingly said yes two years ago to something I had no idea it would turn into this, right? Stop wondering if God has a plan and just say yes. Jesus has already won your victory for you. You have to walk in it. And are you going to keep returning to the past and doubting his plan and stomping your feet in impatience? God, when will I get mine and when will you vindicate me? And just say yes. These are the lessons of Victorious. At least, that's what I thought the lessons of Victorious would be. As I began to dive into what the lesson would be for today, I realized there's a whole nother level here. <laughs> like being outside of the will of God and being frustrated all the time is one level. And then these lessons, the, the forgiveness, the patience, the trust... That's another level, but then I read Paul's story. I flipped to the New Testament, right? And I thought, Paul says he has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He's remained faithful. What context did he write that in? And I went to 2 Timothy 4. And I read his letter to Timothy right before the end of his life when he's sitting in prison, when everybody has abandoned him. And I read his language, and I tried to picture his attitude in writing this. I mean, you'll see as we read through it, it it's everyday language. He's, he's telling Timothy to come and see him soon, and they're talking about the winter, and he says, oh, bring my books, please. I mean, it's, it's everyday language, and yet you can feel the trust, the forgiveness, the patience in it. He has faith. In God, next level, victorious faith in God, like I haven't even described yet. I mean, the lessons I've learned so far are about my blessings and what I will get out of it and whole and complete victories. Jacob's story and David's story, even Jephthah's story, who was a negative example of how not to do it. They all taught me that if I obey God, God will restore my family and he will restore my finances and he will complete my story with, with victory everywhere, physical victory. And yet, Paul's story, he's sitting in a prison cell at the end of his life writing these words. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. First of all, first sentence right out the gate <laughs> about his kingdom, right? He is already trusting that God 
has a plan. Preach the word of God. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not, there's trust again. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears need to hear. Do you hear fear in that, by the way? It's just fact. It's just what's going to happen because he has this deep abiding trust that God's going to work it out, that it's going to be good either way. This is what's going to happen. It's bad, but I'm good, right? A time is coming. They will have itching ears to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling the telling others the good news, and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Again, any fear in that statement? I read it with no fear whatsoever. And this is the context for a scripture we quote all the time. I mean, if, if you don't break it up by verse, it says, the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. He's talking about his death. He's talking about eternity, not the here and now, not the blessings and the favor he can enjoy here on earth. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now my, the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And this section is literally called Paul's final words. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. That's basically Vegas, by the way, just Sin City. He's gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas and bring my books and especially my papers. These are usually the verses we skip over when we're teaching because it's not the spiritual stuff, right? But it's also everyday language. And I want you to see that this is just mixed in with things that come out of his mouth. Everyday conversation. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. How often do I say things like that? Oh, that person did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack. Can I remind you? He's sitting in prison. Every evil attack and will bring me safely into his kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed at Corinth and I left choked. Trophimus, sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubula sends you greetings, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. May the Lord be with your spirit, and may his grace be with all of you. <sighs> I read that passage 
this week thinking that it would confirm all of the lessons I've learned so far in Victorious. The thing is, it, it doesn't not confirm it, right? It confirms it plus some. There's another level to this, guys. Paul is next level victorious because he's not even claiming and hoping and staking his claim on physical blessings here and now. He's not even forgiving, hoping that the Lord will bring justice and rain down fire on his enemies. He's just forgiving, letting go of all of it. It's not personal to him whatsoever. And he knows he's not going to get blessing here and now on this earth, in this life. He's going to get it in eternity. This is next level victorious. This is a level I want to be someday, but I don't feel there yet. I mean, first of all, he declares himself victorious. Did you catch that? He doesn't need a pastor or friends around him or somebody else in life to confirm his gifts and calling and to call him successful and pat him on the back. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful because his faithfulness is about him and God. No one else. He declares himself victorious. And I don't know if I could get there while sitting in prison. I think I'd probably be questioning everything. God, did I, I obey you correctly? Did, did I do something wrong here? I, as the leader, should I, should I have done something differently? What if I'm setting a bad example for everybody else? And I'd be all questioning. Paul's not. Next level victorious is declaring yourself victorious because you said yes to God and you know you are where you're supposed to be. And he's got a plan. You can declare yourself victorious. He's also next level victorious because not only does he see things through the lens of the word, but he sees things through the lens of eternity. He has an eternal perspective. He's not claiming that God's going to break him out of prison and that God's going to give him the family that he's always wanted and the land that he's always wanted. And he's going to be able to retire and put his feet up and live out God's rest for the rest of his life. He's just glad that everything happened the way that it did so he could declare the gospel to as many people as possible. I mean, his reward is in heaven when Jesus comes back. That is an eternal perspective, and that is next level victorious. Not just hoping and praying for the things here on earth, but understanding that God has a better plan. I mean, I mean, Jacob, who we studied last week, he had all the ifs, right? If you protect me in this next land, and if you get me back safely, and if this and if that, then I will tithe to you, and I'll worship you, and I'll make you my God. Paul has no ifs. He doesn't say if once. He's just declaring truth. I am victorious. God will give me reward. I don't need anything else. He says in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday... He doesn't even need to know the day or the time. It's someday. Someday he will judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. And he's just content with that. I don't know. Have you gotten there yet? Because I am struggling to get there. Next level, victorious. Number three, he not only understands that his story is still being written, but that other people's stories are still being written. 
I mean, I think I can muster up enough victorious in my soul to understand that my story isn't over yet, right? I can get there. Absolutely. All day. I still have breath in my lungs. God's still going to do something. I have hope for the future that he's going to deliver me and he's going to set me up with a a financial plan and I'm going to have the family and and the restored relationships and God is good. He's going to do all of that for me. But can I get to the place where I can also believe that for the people who have done me wrong? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of his life and has gone to Thessalonica. I mean, he starts listing off names of people that have deserted him with no bitterness, no anger about that, just that he loves the things of this world, right? He's not questioning himself as a leader. (laughs) Should I have done something differently to keep him? Should I have whatever, whatever? He's just trusting. His story is still being written too. He understands it on a level that I'm struggling to. That is next level victorious. And, and the people that have done him wrong and might still be sort of treating the church abusively, he calls out Alexander the coppersmith, right? He worked against everything we said. He warns him, but he's not holding it against him. He literally says, the Lord will judge him. I don't need to. That's next level. And not only that, he, he lets the past in the past even when he's dealing with the consequences of their actions today. A lot of us have no problem leaving the past in the past when it's not affecting us anymore. But what about the things that somebody did to me that I can't change? And I've built a victimhood and identity on that. And how how do I change that going forward when I'm still dealing with the consequences? It's not in the past, it's an everyday thing reality for me now. How do I forgive that when I'm still dealing with it, right? Paul is sitting in prison alone because everyone has deserted him. He's still dealing with the consequences of their actions, and yet he's able to say, may it not be counted against them. I feel like I need like a sticker over every mirror in my house or or something to remind me, may it not be counted against them. To remind me that I'm trying to get there. That level of victorious that doesn't hold people to a standard that I don't hold myself to. That that gives people grace that Jesus would give them. That is able to say they've all deserted me, but may it not be counted against them. And by the way, I think there's a difference between Alexander the coppersmith and the believers that deserted him. I want to make that very clear distinction. It's not... God is not an enabler, and he doesn't ask you to be either. If there's an abuser in the mix, it's okay to warn people against that kind of behavior to make it stop happening and to hope that the Lord brings justice on them. That is okay, according to Paul's model. But then there are others who he just says, you know, they left out of fear or whatever it was. May it not be counted against them. It's not active abuse or hurting other people. You get that distinction, right? I don't want you to walk out of here thinking may it not be counted against them to people who are still going about doing evil to others. There is a distinction. But again, Paul knows it and is able to clearly in two sentences define it and let it go. Next level, victorious. Someone asked me last week, is it still forgiveness if you still want justice for them? Is it still forgiveness if I still want them to be held accountable? 
I don't have to do it. Somebody else can do it. But is it still forgiveness? Again, I think there's two levels here. You can want someone to come to justice because the evil is still happening somewhere else. But if it isn't, may it not be counted against them. (laughs) Next level, victorious. Number five, he's not only not doubting that God has a plan here. He also understands that God's plan is good. He says, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Because, see, I think a lot of us, we maybe can get on board with God having a plan, but then we, we sort of doubt it sometimes that it's good enough and we take back control a little at a time, right? I, I don't know if God's... If if the whole tithing thing, if that's right for me. So I'm going to take back control of my finances. God, I I don't know if I can trust you with that. We know that he has a plan for our finances, but we can't quite trust that it's a good plan. (laughs) Maybe not for me in my situation. Or we know that we should consult God with our relationships, with friendships, with romantic relationships, but uh, I know better, right? I know what I need in this season. I'm going to lean into this friendship or relationship without consulting God first. We doubt that his plan is good. We doubt that he knows it better than we do. That he knows us better than we do. Paul not only doesn't doubt that God has a plan, he also understands that that plan is good. And six, all of this All of these next level victorious statements are coming out of his mouth, not just in a sermon and not just in teaching. This is language and attitude that is mixed in among everyday conversation like a coat and the winter and bring my books along too, please. It's it's everyday conversation and and a letter. It's like modern day texting. You're just... (laughs) planning your day and the trip and this is what's coming out of his mouth the place Paul has gotten to near the end of his life sitting in a prison cell suffering because of the gospel victorious is just coming out of his mouth I want to be that when I grow up (laughs) right most of us can understand the idea of not complaining. We, we get that we shouldn't complain. We get that we should thank God, especially in this Thanksgiving season. We get that we should be thankful. And most of us even get the benefits of being thankful in our lives. But are you at the place yet where you're also thanking God for the hardships, for people deserting you, for sitting in a prison cell because you got to declare the gospel? Not because of anything it's doing for you personally, not because of the rewards or the blessings or the victories you're gonna get later in life, but just because you got to save one more. Because you got to present the gospel in one more place. Are you at this next level victorious where you're living your life at that level of purpose? That it's not your purposes for your life anymore, it's just his. Being victorious doesn't have all that much to do with possessions and winning in battles. It's a mindset. It's an attitude shift. It's patience, but not just for patience's sake. Patience because he is still writing the story. It's 
forgiveness because we can let the past be the past when we know who's in charge of the future. And it's trust because God has a plan and it is good. I heard a sermon this week by one of my favorite preachers, Darius Daniels, who the link is in the sermon notes if you want to go on the app and find that, where he explained that there are levels to this and suddenly all of this clicked into place. I realized that as a believer, as a Christian, and I'm not talking about the people outside of the church right now, but as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, you can be on three different levels with your relationship with him. And the first one is outside of the will of God. Now, I always thought that it was sinners. It was people out there. It was the evil ones that were outside of the will of God. And once you become a believer, you're now inside of the will of God. But did you know it's possible to be saved but not transformed? It's possible to be, to have salvation but not have the joy of your salvation. It's possible. God will allow you to settle on whatever level you're willing to settle for. He doesn't want it for you, but he'll allow it. You can be a believer and still be outside of the will of God. This is the lowest level of living. It's when decisions, uh, actions are guided and governed by your own will and wishes, not his. When you're waking up in the morning and saying, God, bless my plans, bless what I have to do today. Give me a good and easy day today. Instead of waking up and saying, God, what do you have for me today? What can I do for you today? How can I help today? You might consult God when you need him, when you need him to bring your will to pass. You sort of treat him more like Santa Claus than God of the universe. And it's at this level, God can be a deliverer for you, but not a leader. He can bail you out. He can rescue you when you get yourself into trouble. But he's not your leader. You're not following him. You're asking him to follow you. And it's outside of the will of God. The second level is the permissive will of God. This is the average level of living. It's a space and a place where things are better than they used to be, but they're not as good as they could be yet. It's where you know some scripture. You can quote some scripture, but you're not actually living it. It's salvation, but not transformation. We can quote scripture at this level, but we may not be living it. The permissive will of God. He's allowing it to happen, but he doesn't prefer it. This is, I think, the, the three lessons that I learned in the beginning. This is forcing myself to be patient and forcing myself to trust and forcing myself to forgive. I'm trying to live up to the head knowledge that I have from the word, but it's not heart experience knowledge yet. And then there's the third level, and that is the preferred will of God. This is kingdom living. This is what it looks like to be following Jesus. It's what life looks like when he leads it, not when you're leading it. It's it's where church is the means to the end, but it's not the end. You can be attending church in both levels, by the way, in any of the levels. Church is a means to victorious living, but it's not the end of it. It's at this level we live scripture. We breathe scripture like Paul. It just oozes out of us in everyday conversation. This is victorious living. 
because it's total reliance on God. Absolute trust with no reservations and complete surrender to his will. God is the God of progression. He will lead you through these levels. He's not asking you to jump to level three on day one to pretend to be something you're not. In fact, faith is built brick by brick. It's not something you can walk out those doors and say, I'm just going to be more faithful, right? It's not something you can fake or just decide to do. It's something that's built like trust. And he will lead you to this level if you let him. And we think we can just be it. We can just walk out the doors and, and say we're going to be it and declare it. And then we fall flat on our faces and we wonder why. The problem is, and, and I used to be one of those people, I thought, I just don't have enough faith. And I've grown up in the church. I know the scripture. I, I was always a, a church kid. I never made the big rebellious mistakes. I, I thought, I, I, I guess I have faith. <laughs> but then I lived a little life. Life happened. And I've learned a thing or two. And now, not only do I know scripture, I know scripture. I live scripture. I live and breathe it because I have to, to get through it. I've experienced it. I am victorious because I've been victorious a time or two now. Because I've failed more times than I succeeded. And the next day I had to get up all over again and say, you know what? I'm sorry. That didn't work. My way didn't work. And I'm going to try yours again. And I've seen it happen. Not just with Bold and Brave, but... <laughs> Two years ago, I said yes when I didn't want to. I failed a lot during that time. I didn't like it. It wasn't working out. I got up and I tried again the next week. And it is now something that I feel like is life-giving to other people, not just myself. But believe me, I feel like I'm getting the most life out of it. Because I said yes, and I trusted that he had a plan. And I didn't know what it was two years ago when I said yes. I didn't have to. I'm victorious today in it because I trusted God back then. He will lead you to this level if you let him. Allow yourself permission to fail in that progression. It's okay. The beauty of this faith is we just have to repent and try again tomorrow and allow him to build your faith along the way, but don't get stuck because you can be saved but not victorious. You can have salvation, but not transformation, not the joy of your salvation. Wouldn't you rather not have the guilt and the shame, the need to prove yourself to people who don't understand you, the freedom from everything that holds you back, the joy that feeds your passion, the, the peace that passes all understanding. You can live at this level of victorious. It's possible but it takes total surrender. Everything you have. Not holding a secret offense back. Not holding a secret pet sin back. Total and complete surrender. That's victorious. Well, Father, today we ask you for humility in our souls. We ask that we would be able to be a church that comes before you, hearts humbled every single week, arms raised and, and wanton surrender, just able to give you everything, allow you in 
to everything, every decision, every mindset, every attitude, every pain, every past mistake, every regret, every victim mentality, we would allow you into those things, that we would realize that we can't do this on our own anymore. And we would recognize our need for Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for this series. Thank you for the past few series and how you've worked them together to be the perfect word for this church in this place. Father, thank you for every single lesson learned. Thank you for total and complete surrender to your will. Make us the victorious, vibrant, passionate, selfless church you called us to be. Let us walk in your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. said a few things I really liked, like the idea that, that God is a God of progression. And, and I know for me, I don't want salvation without transformation. So I was thinking through those three things, the, the patience, forgiveness, and trust, and like, who do I need, how do I need to be more patient? I think I need to be more patient with the process. Like, bold and brave didn't happen overnight. I remember Candace talking about, like, like, I just want it to be where it's going to be. Why isn't it there yet? And here we are two years later celebrating where it is. So I need to be patient with the process. I need to, who do I need to forgive? Like, do I need to forgive myself? Do I need to forgive others? How do I need to forgive? And then trust. I need to trust people more. That's what I identified. Like, I need to trust the process. I need to trust my God. And the biggest takeaway I think I'm getting overall is trust takes time. I can't say, I trust you right now. I need to say, I'm trusting you. I want, I want to grow in trust. So, so those are just some of my takeaways. I hope you have them. I, I saw people furiously taking notes during this message. So go back to those this week. Don't let them lay. Don't forget them. Don't miss them. Um, so before we go from here, would you, would you stand up? And, and let's get ready to, to, to move on and forward with our week, not forgetting these words in this time. Before we go, I have a, a prayer and a word that I feel like God has given us to, to round out this series. So I want to speak and pray it over you. Dear God, victory. Amen. See you guys next week. Love you, FV Church.